Indra Shire had felt odd during this entire photo shoot. He had been hired by the noble Townsends to photograph their lovely ancestral home, Raynham Hall. But the entire place had felt off. Portraits seemed to shift on their own. Stairwells seemed to have extra steps as he descended them. The air seemed to flow as if he were outdoors. He had taken photos all day, all around the home, and he was just about to finish up. He only had photos of the grand hall left to take, and he set his camera up, ready to capture its grandeur in permanent photographic relief. As he aimed the photo at the noble staircase, he felt his skin bristle with discomfort. He stared through the camera, and time seemed to slow until he was frozen and unable to move. Through the lens, he could see the shape of a woman appear and descend down the stairs. She was spectral and horrific, her visage unworldly and awful to behold. She froze on the steps as if to pose, and without his control, he felt his thumb press the button to close the shutter. Time returned to normal and the woman vanished with the flash of the camera. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to tragic Raynham Hall and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review on Spotify or wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com merch for more information. Some 120 miles northeast of London, in the wilds of Norfolk County, East Anglia, stands Raynham Hall. Raynham Hall was once the centerpiece of a 7,000-acre estate, the ancestral country home of the noble Townsend family. After 15 years of arduous construction, Raynham Hall was completed in 1620 and at 400 years old is one of the oldest buildings in Norfolk County. This palatial five-story mansion was built in the Neo-Palladian style and features a striking western facade. A long drive with mature trees marching on either side creates a stunning entrance to the elegant red-bricked manor. The interior of the Townsend home is just as splendid, containing richly appointed rooms filled with fine paintings, handmade rugs, and antique furniture. Raynham Hall is also the setting of one of the most famous hauntings in the world, an incident where a ghost was captured on film. However, this haunting tale begins long before the invention of the camera. 
1686, lovely Dorothy Walpole was born into a wealthy and politically connected family. At 11 years old, Dorothy fell in love with her father's ward, the noble Charles Townsend. During this time period, it was legal for marriages to occur between young teens, though often a couple didn't live as man and wife until a few years later. Unfortunately, Dorothy's father denied their request to marry. He was worried that the wealthy Charles making a match with his daughter Dorothy would be seen as him exerting undue influence as a guardian. Charles ended up marrying someone else, and Dorothy was left heartbroken. During the next 15 years, Charles had several children and rose high in political circles. Eventually, Charles' wife died. By this time, Dorothy's father had also passed away. Dorothy's brother Robert consented to the match, and after a brief period of mourning for Charles' first wife, he and Dorothy were married in 1713. At first, their marriage was happy. Dorothy gave birth to several more of Charles' children. But then, Charles caught wind of some gossip about his wife. Allegedly, Dorothy had once been involved with the Marquess of Wharton, and their flirtation may have continued after her marriage to Charles. Lord Wharton was a notorious rake and an errant political rival of Charles. Charles, who was said to have a violent and cruel temper, barred Dorothy from seeing their children. Supposedly, not long afterward, Dorothy died of smallpox at the age of 40 in 1726. She had been married to Charles for 13 years before she passed away. Charles stood tall in the front pew of St. Mary's Church and tried to look suitably solemn as the priest droned on. It was the funeral for his poor wife, Dorothy. She was to be buried in the family crypt. Charles stared at the flower-covered casket, thought to house Dorothy's remains. In reality, it contained naught but bricks. Dorothy's eyes fluttered open, her mind flitting between consciousness and unconsciousness. She caught glimpses of her surroundings, dark and drab, beams of old wood and dusty floors. She lay on a mattress, old and lumpy, and in moments of moderate clarity, she could feel the rough edges of a rope tied tightly around her ankle. With blurred vision, she could see a figure looming over her. It was wide and foreboding, and noise rumbled forth from it, deep and angry. She shuddered in her bed, terrified of the imposing figure. Then her eyes shut again her mind drifting off to unwilling sleep once again. Dorothy opened her eyes once more. Her head ached. Her throat was parched and stung. But her mind was finally clear. She could tell she was in the attic. She lay on an old bed and her leg was tied to its post. A small port window and a glass lantern lit the room, and on the wall, she could see a passage written out in black ink. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die, the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil. 
Dorothy could see woman and evil were written at twice the size of the other words. Tears began to build. She hadn't meant for him to know. He was the love of her life. Warden was just there to pass the time. As she wiped her eyes, the staircase in the floor was pulled down. She saw Charles, her husband, rise up from the floor, his face dour and his posture serious. He pulled the stairs shut behind himself and approached slowly and silently. Crying, Dorothy scrambled off the bed, kneeling before her husband. She choked back the tears, apologizing profusely. She was sorry. It was never meant to happen like it did. She was his, and his alone. Charles nodded. He pulled a booklet from his back pocket. He began to read a sermon talking about the evils of adultery and the evils of loose women. He spoke of doom and hellfire. He spoke of a reckoning. She leaned up to look in his eyes. He grabbed the back of her head and pushed her down. He continued to lecture, and she continued to cry. He finished his lecture and told her to get on the bed. She obliged. She hoped in time they could be together again, as they had in the past. For now, she would suffer for him. Suffer to return to him. The gas lamp was shut off and the sun had lowered. She lay in complete darkness, alone and hungry. She thought about her children and longed to hug them and tossle their hair. She wondered how long it would take for her and Charles to reconcile. Days had come and gone with Dorothy stuck in the intermittent twilight and deep darkness of the attic. At some point after the first week, she'd begun marking the time by dragging her nail against the plaster of the wall. She marked 10 days, 10 long days. Charles had visited her every day, and every day he did the same thing. He lectured her from the Bible, and he forced her to the ground. Then he'd force her to the bed, and he'd take what he wanted before locking her in the room once more. The more this happened, the more she would turn her attention to the verse written on the wall, where before she would see woman and evil standing out against the rest. Now, she only saw the word die. Die, die, die. She had lost all faith that Charles had any intention towards reconciliation at all. She crawled to the gas lamp, hungry and exhausted. She lit the flame and removed the glass cover, holding the rope that tied her to the bed above the flame. The heat worked its way through the cord, each strand snapping in the fire, piece by piece. Eventually, the rope was cut. She put the cover back on the lamp and began to carry it, the flickering fire casting her long, gaunt shadow against the walls. She would exit the attic, find her children, and run. She didn't know where, but she would run and run until she was free, and her children were free with her. 
She lowered the stairs and made her way down to the house proper. She snuffed the lamp to avoid giving away her position and crept down the hall, listening for any sort of movement. All was quiet as she made her way to her daughter's room. She entered and saw her daughter sleeping in her bed, safe and sound. Tears welled in her eyes. It had been weeks since she'd seen her baby. She swore to never let this happen again. She shook her daughter's shoulder to gently wake her from her slumber. The girl's eyes fluttered open in a drowsy daze. Her daughter screamed in bloody terror, scrambling away as fast as she could. Confused and horror-struck, Dorothy pleaded with her to be quiet. The girl continued to yell, saying all sorts of horrific things, that Dorothy was the devil, that she was a vile spirit come to haunt her, that she should leave her alone at once and be banished back to hell from whence she came. A river of tears flowed from Dorothy's eyes, cascading down her shallow, starved, and pale face. The visage of a ghost in the night. Dorothy pleaded, insisting that she wasn't dead, but she was too late. Charles had arrived. He tossed water in Dorothy's face and began spouting Bible verses, telling her to flee from the power of Christ. Dorothy took one last look at her terrified daughter before sprinting for the door. She bolted down the hall, running with all her might to the staircase in the foyer. But she was frail and weak. Charles had kept pace behind her. He grabbed her by the shoulders and shoved, forcing her to lose her balance. She flew over the banister and crashed feet first against the floor. Her legs shattered against the ground, and her mind went blank from the pain. She awoke in the attic once again. Her twisted legs were sprawled across the bed. Ropes pinned each of her limbs to the corners of the bed frame. As she listened to Charles chant, she realized that she would never leave this room again. Rumors swirl around Dorothy's date of death and how she died. Some maintain that Dorothy did die in 1726, but that she was murdered. Others claim Dorothy was held captive by Charles and passed away years after her fake funeral was conducted. Her remains were walled up in an unused room in Raynham Hall. Lord Charles Townsend himself died in 1738, about 10 years after Dorothy's reported death. He passed away a well-respected politician and landowner, having lived out his final years at Raynham Hall. The scars he left would remain for much longer. Coming up, Dorothy's ghost returns to the corridors of Raynham Hall. And now, back to the story. Lord Charles Townsend's great-grandson, also named Charles, inherited the Raynham estate 100 years after Dorothy's mysterious death. The sad love affair had long since been forgotten. 
that is, until a cold winter's night in 1835. By all accounts, the Yuletide house party was shaping up to be a success. This evening, the guests sang, played games, and made merry until they were hoarse. It was after midnight when Colonel Loftus and Mr. Hawkins bade their hosts, the Townsends, good night, and made their way upstairs toward the bedrooms. Colonel Loftus suddenly caught sight of a woman at the far end of the hallway. He only saw her for a moment before she glided around the corner and out of sight. But she left him with a feeling of unease. The woman was very thin, and she wore a dated, heavy brown brocade dress. How very odd for a servant to be out of uniform. Loftus turned to Mr. Hawkins, who seemed just as put out as he. The two men parted ways at Loftus's bedroom and Loftus lay down in bed to rest for the night. The colonel suddenly woke up. He was covered in sweat, and his skin prickled. Something shifted, barely visible in the dim light coming from the embers in the grate. Loftus strained his eyes, trying to see. Someone was in the room with him. The fire suddenly flared, and the figure of a woman was backlit against the flames. Loftus huddled in the sheets as she lurched towards his bed. Her glowing, pale skin was papery and stretched taut over her bones. An old-fashioned dress hung poorly on her skeletal frame. Her eyes were deep, blood-red, and her neck was twisted. Her blue-tinted lips moved. The ghost made a horrible, raspy noise. Loftus was terrified, paralyzed. He couldn't move an inch. The ghost stared him down, her bony chest heaving with effort. The ghost again made a horrible, raspy, choking noise, this time louder. She pointed a bony finger at the wall. He began to shake. He didn't understand. The ghost reached out a gaunt hand and grabbed Loftus's shoulder. An electric shock skittered down his spine. The thing opened her mouth wide. A shriveled black tongue flapped about her teeth as she tried to make Loftus understand. Suddenly, she stiffened. She screamed once more. And then she was gone. Loftus lay in bed, gasping, his heart racing, his limbs weak. The next day, Loftus grabbed all his belongings and hastily packed them away. When Lady Townsend asked why he was leaving, he described to her in great detail the terrifying encounter he experienced through the night. Lady Townsend insisted he stay but he insisted on leaving. When she tried to get the other guests to pressure him into remaining at Raynham Hall, he told all the guests his story. He left shortly thereafter. As Loftus's tale began to spread throughout the house, servants began to recall odd things they had witnessed. 
Strange noises at strange hours. Disturbing lights coming from nowhere. Glimpses of a woman in brown stalking the halls. Now they knew the cause, and they could remain at Raynham Hall no longer. A few servants quit their posts, mortified by Colonel Loftus's tale. A year later, in 1736, the Townsends were once again holding a large party when rumors of the ghost of the Brown Lady circulated among the guests. The ghost had been identified as Lady Dorothy. A painting of Lady Dorothy hung in a bedroom wearing a brown dress. Allegedly, the spirit resembled her. The tale of her tragic love life resurfaced. As rumors of her ancestors' indiscretions and her ancestors' haunting spread throughout high society, Lady Townsend was upset. Her reputation as a host was suffering. She asked her neighbor, retired Captain Frederick Marriott, for assistance. Marriott was a decorated British Royal Naval officer and well regarded for his bravery. The unflappable Marriott agreed to stay in the bedroom where the ghost had now been seen ominously pointing towards the wall several times. Marriott paused his letter writing to glance up at the portrait of Lady Dorothy. There was something unsettling about Raynham Hall. He slept with his revolver under his pillow, just in case. On his last night of visiting with the Townsends, Marriott was returning to his room from a friend's when he saw a faint glow from a lamp at the other end of the long corridor. A woman was coming towards him. Marriott, who was in a state of undress due to the lateness of the hour, modestly slipped into an antechamber so as not to offend the woman as she passed. Curious as to whom it was, Marriott peered through a crack in the door. He watched in horror as she moved with impossible speed. Her raspy breath unnerved him as he peered at her through the door. He gripped his revolver. As he did so, the woman turned to face him. Marriott's heart stuttered in his chest. Slowly, the woman in brown raised her oil lamp. The glow revealed her features. Almost translucent skin clung to her skull. Her eyes were blood red. For a heartbeat, the ghost stared at him. And then she grinned, a ghastly smile. Her teeth were long and wickedly sharp. Terrified, Marriott raised his revolver and pulled the trigger. The ghost disappeared as the bullet passed through her and struck a door on the opposite side of the hallway. Marriott leaned against the wall, trying to catch his breath. His ears rang from the gunshot. He approached the door. The bullet had blown right through it, only to lodge itself in the far wall of a small room. Dark liquid was dripping from the bullet hole in the wall. Marriott leaned in close to better see in the dim moonlight. He dipped a finger in a drop and found that it was blood. Marriott tapped at the wall with the butt of his revolver. He managed to widen the hole a little. Holding his breath, 
he wiggled two fingers into the hole and felt something wet, hard, bony. Marriott ran for a lamp and then carefully looked into the hole. He had touched the finger of a human corpse. Early the next morning, Marriott told the Townsends what happened. They denied that there was a ghost and were aggrieved that a guest would be so discourteous as to shoot off a gun in their home. Marriott insisted on showing them the bleeding wall. But when they went to the room, the hole had been patched. The Townsends maintained that there was nothing in the wall. Shaken, Marriott left Raynham Hall never to visit again. We'll discuss the famous picture taken of Lady Dorothy's ghost after this. And now, back to the story. Over the next 100 years, the Townsend family and their servants occasionally saw the apparition of the Brown Lady. Notably, in 1926, Lady Townsend and her son saw the ghost on the stairs. The ghost also began appearing in the hallway and the bedroom where her portrait hung. In late 1936, an incident happened that forever immortalized the ghost of the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall. The photographer Indra Shire and his art director Captain Provind were ecstatic when the Townsend family gave them permission to photograph Raynham Hall for Country Life magazine. For several hours, the duo wandered the manor, taking photographs. Province excitement only grew as the day went on. The photographs they took were regal and beautiful, guaranteed to receive extra praise and pay from the magazine. However, Indra felt uneasy like there was something invisible, something evil secretly watching him. Around 4 p.m., the duo prepared for the last shots of the day, pictures of the grand oaken staircase. The space was quite dim as Indra manned the flash lamp. Pravind had just taken a picture when it happened. A spectral woman in brown began to descend the staircase. Her ghostly form captured Indra's attention, and he snapped a second photo as quickly as he could. They rushed back to their workshop to develop the photos. They had captured a single perfect frame, the outline of a Madonna-like supernatural presence drifting down the staircase. Pravin called her an angel, claiming that she was heaven-blessed. Indra felt differently. Staring at the haunting visage, he felt like he had captured an image of the angel of death. A few days passed. Indra spent hours staring at the photo's negative, unsure of what it meant. He felt convinced that nothing good could come of it. Eventually, Indra had to return to work, He traveled to the residence of the noble Lady Thornton, camera in his case. Lady Thornton arrived at the door, well-groomed and rotund. She invited Indra to her drawing room, where Indra could set up his camera. As Indra put together his set, he heard barking from the hallway. 
A pug rushed into the room, glaring at Indra's camera. It barked and barked, but it kept its distance, shaking as its eyes lay fixed on the device. Ecstatic, Lady Thornton picked up the pooch, kissing its flat face. She wanted him to be in the pictures with her. As Lady Thornton held her pug, it continued barking. Indra pointed the camera at the lady and her dog, and as the lens aimed at the dog, it began writhing, almost uncontrollably. It twisted with every muscle in its body, trying to break free from its owner's grasp. But Lady Thornton held it tight. She shouted at Indra, insisting that he take the picture. In Indra's hands, the camera felt bitter cold. He grew dizzy as the shutter clicked and the pug froze. The dog's eyes went wide and it sat in its owner's arms almost without emotion. Lady Thornton grinned. Finally, her dog was still. She insisted that Indra take more photos, but his strength was sapped with each click. After the final snap, the pug's bladder released. Its urine coated Lady Thornton, and she set her dog down in disgust, fleeing from the room. As Indra packed up his camera, he noticed the dog lying on the ground, eyes vacant, body motionless. He quickly gathered his things and left as soon as he could. He returned home, shivering. The sun was out and the air was warm, but Indra could not shake the memory of that poor dog lying vacant upon the ground. He went to his dark room and began to process the negatives. After several hours, the photographs became visible. To Indra's great surprise, they were colorful and packed with life. He had never seen a photo that looked so vivacious. Even the nervous, difficult pug looked regal and magnificent. Indra made as many copies of the photos as he could, excited that such a frightening experience could result in something so beautiful. The next day, Indra returned to Lady Thornton's estate, photographs in tow. He knocked, but heard no response. He knocked once more, and a man answered the door. He introduced himself as a taxidermist. He'd been asked to preserve Lady Thornton's canine after the dog's heart had mysteriously stopped. Indra asked why a taxidermist was answering the door and not one of Lady Thornton's many servants. The taxidermist responded that the entire household was at a funeral. Lady Thornton's heart had mysteriously stopped as well. Indra left the photos with the taxidermist and rushed home. He had left the camera, that cursed camera, out on his workshop table. He had to get it, to destroy it before anything else could happen. Images flashed in his mind as the horrific possibilities unfolded in his imagination. His partner could get to it and go to more assignments, the clients dropping like flies. Nobody would know what horror had caused the losses. Only he would, and he might be too late to stop it. His feet pounded against the pavement as he ran up the driveway to his home. He came to his workshop and burst through the door. 
only to see his eight-year-old son playing in his workshop, taking photos of himself. Indra watched in horror as the shutters clicked. And there, superimposed between his son and the lens, was a ghostly woman, her hand grasping his son by the spine. She grinned at Indra, and in the split second as the shutters closed, she was gone. Opinion is divided as to whether photographers Providence Shire perpetuated a great hoax with their ghostly photograph. Curiously, when initially shown the ghost photograph, Marchioness Townsend thought the figure resembled the Virgin Mary. Neither she nor Country Life magazine linked the image to the old legend. It was the subsequent media frenzy that connected Providence Shire's photograph to the legend of the ghost in a brown dress and Lady Dorothy. The December 26, 1936 issue of Country Life contained a featured article on the ghost on the stairs. An editorial in the magazine explained that they believed the picture to be real as Provind and Shire had been questioned by various experts and their film negative had been examined. The public was enthralled with the image. Providence Shire made a small fortune selling copies of the photograph for a guinea, which is approximately one pound five pence, or less than one dollar in today's money. Currently, while there are many people who believe the photograph to be real, many more consider it a hoax. It has been decried as grease smeared on the camera lens and a light anomaly from the flash lamp. However, the most common argument is that the image is a double exposure using a Virgin Mary statuette. Whether the photograph is genuine or fake, its location still stands strong and proud, and the legend of Dorothy stands with it. The noble Townsend family continues to privately own and live in their ancestral home, and some members of the family even maintain that they share the halls with their spectral predecessor. However, they strongly deny that Lady Dorothy was imprisoned or ill-treated by Lord Charles and claim that Dorothy remains on the grounds out of fondness for her home, not malice. A few times a year, Raynham Hall is open to the public for viewing and music recitals. The current Lord and Lady Townsend conduct tours through some of the formal rooms of the hall, pointing out antique tables where kings and princes once dined, telling tales of their ancestors. If you're lucky to be a visitor at Raynham Hall, feel free to compliment the marble friezes or the lovely silver service, but refrain from bringing up the ghost. It would be impolite to mention her in polite society. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places. We'll be back next Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. 
If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Kenny Hobbs. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Candace Rogers. I'm Greg Polson.